0: Our text this morning is found in the Old Testament in the first book of Samuel. It's a longer text, so if you have trouble paying attention, you might open it up, uh, your pew Bible, to page 244. Before we read it, I'll give you a little context. Israel was in big trouble by the 11th century B.C. The 12 tribes of Israel were a confederation, occupying an area no bigger than the state of Maryland. And just east of the Promised Land, the Philistines were also a confederation of five cities, and they occupied what is known today as the Gaza Strip. The Philistines are marginalizing Israel, who have become politically and economically weak. But even worse, as Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann summarized, the Israelites have become accustomed to brutality, corruption, and undisciplined religions. In other words, complete moral chaos. And now they neither have the capacity nor the will to turn things around, and so instead it seems like they are waiting. Waiting for something to change, something big, something to defend them, or unite them, or liberate them, all of it. Eventually, there will be a series of great leaders, but in the meantime, the promises of land and children, of security and blessing, all of that hangs in the balance. And in this moment, as they wait with bitterness and apathy and despair and uncertainty, Instead of stories about Saul or Solomon or David, we are introduced to one woman experiencing barrenness or infertility, an empty womb. It's a huge problem. No child, no son, no heir, no future, no historical possibility. And after unthinkable grief and desperation, Hannah... Praise. Actually, she bargains with God. She says, if only God, if only you save me, then I will be faithful. If you help me, if you fix this, then I will pay attention to you. If I have a baby, then I will dedicate him to your service. It's not practical. It makes no sense, because God's love is not conditional. We do not need to bargain with God, for God to pour out salvation in grace. Certainly these days, we all have access to infertility, science, and adoption policies. But still, even today, Hannah's prayer is a prayer that many of us have prayed. And I share this context with you now because in the midst of all of this chaos that Israel is experiencing, it is Hannah's story that initiates the long future of Israel. Pleading, praying, desperate Hannah depends solely on Yahweh, the one whose transformative power can turn barrenness into new life, despair into praise, isolation into worship. So Hannah does dedicate her first son, Samuel, to the central sanctuary in Shiloh. And on this children's Sabbath, we will read the story of Samuel's calling. Listen now to the word of the Lord. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli. Samuel, Samuel, and he said, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But Eli said, I did not call. Lie down again. So Samuel went and lay down. The Lord called again, Samuel, Samuel. So Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But Eli said, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. The Lord called Samuel again, a third time. And he got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. And so Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and if the Lord calls you, you shall say... Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now the Lord came and stood there, calling as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your Lord, your servant is listening. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do something in Israel that will make both ears of anyone who hears of it tingle. On that day, I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end, and I declare to him that I'm about to punish Eli's house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God, and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice Or offering forever. Samuel lay there until morning, then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called to Samuel and said, Samuel, my son, he said, here I am. Eli said, what was it that the Lord told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you, and more also, if you had anything from me, that he told you. So Samuel told Eli everything and hid nothing from him. Then Eli said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to the Lord. As Samuel grew up, the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was a trustworthy prophet of the Lord." May God bless the speaking and the hearing of God's holy word. Amen. Well, things are bleak. Visions are not widespread. The word of God is rare, which makes sense. Worship attendance across our country is estimated to be about 30% down since COVID. I think it's about that here at Selwyn. Hearings and trials are about to make way for another highly partisan election season. 15-year-olds can find their way to assault weapons in our state. Christian nationalism is on the rise. A three-day hospital stay will cost any one of us about thirty thousand dollars. Visions are not widespread. The Word of God is rare. And God is about to do a new thing At best, their priestly leader's inner light has dimmed. At worst, he's practically blind. Chapter two says Eli's son are scoundrels, which they are, and he does nothing to stop their abusive behavior day after day, year after year. How long has Eli been going through the motions? Maybe he's exhausted, years of service to the sanctuary, a dim light, no light, burnout, A match turned to ashes, no more fuel to do the things he used to do, no spark, no creativity. A recent New York Times article states that 68% of working moms say that they are burned out. Can I get an amen? But since COVID, I think most of us have felt this way over the last few years. How are we supposed to recommit to community or rebuild relationships when we can hardly figure out what to make for dinner. Kurt Thompson suggests the pandemic didn't really cause the burnout, but it revealed what already existed. He says that we know the brain can do a lot of really hard things for a very long time, as long as it doesn't have to do them by itself. We only develop greater resilience when we are deeply emotionally connected to other people. And for the most part, we are committed to many practices that long before the pandemic have us moving further and further away from each other. You see, individualism was already built into our daily routines and our social media habits. We have long practiced the liturgies of isolationism and COVID just exasperated them. You see, we practice the belief that joy and delight has something to do with acquisition. If I can have the best job, then I will be happy. If I can have a good relationship, then I will be okay. If I can get an A or lose 10 pounds or earn enough money, then I will be enough. If, then, if, then, and this is exhausting. But perhaps burnout has more to do with isolation and loneliness than anything else. How lonely is it to pursue perfectionism? You see, Eli may have been older, but that's not why he's laying despondent on his bed. Eli was waiting for something to change, and I suspect Eli was burned out. And yet, God is going to do a new thing, which means there's so much riding on young Samuel. He's devoted to Eli. He has energy. He can see. He can hear. He's willing to learn, and yet he never signed up for any of this. Samuel wasn't at the sanctuary to get his service hours for his college application. Every year when Hannah and her husband would make their annual trek to Shiloh to make their sacrifice, she would come with a new robe for her growing boy. She got him where he needed to be, yes. She was true to her word, but up until this point, this whole deal— had to do with Samuel's mother's piety. His mom's sense of commitment in faith, not his. Nationally, there have been record drops in elementary reading and math scores as a result of the pandemic. 44% of high school students report that they are persistently sad or hopeless. That was the stat in 2021. Young people who are marginalized by sexual orientation, race, gender, and socioeconomics fared much worse. Many of our teenagers, including mine, are sleeping in after the homecoming dance, but all of them are playing, competing, studying, gaming, practicing, achieving, and generally protesting. Meanwhile, Samuel lived in the sanctuary He willingly served Eli. He listened to him and respected him and learned from him. And even then, Samuel did not know the Lord. Yahweh wakes Samuel up from a deep sleep twice. And still, Samuel doesn't understand. It says that he had not yet seen God's word revealed to him. And he grew up in the sanctuary. Our households, our kids, our grandkids, they're so stretched. And God is going to do a new thing? I mean, look, Eli's not perfect. We've already established he's burned out. His parenting leaves something to be desired. You can think succession or Yellowstone. But as Jason Biase puts it, he's also slow. Samuel wakes Eli up three times before the little light flickers in his tired brain. Three times until he says, oh, yeah, wait a minute. Sometimes God does do this sort of thing. Sometimes God does show up in unexpected ways and unexpected times. Eli may be burned out, but he does remain committed to Yahweh. He may be slow, but at least he knows what to say. Israel's future hangs in the balance. And now here in this dark, Sanctuary in the crevices of this imperfect relationship, Eli mentoring to Samuel, Samuel trusting Eli, God is going to do a new thing. You see, Eli knows what to say and where to stand and what to do. And together, Eli and Samuel offer two visions for the church. Both are incomplete without the other. Youth without direction, wisdom, or knowledge is untethered. Old age without sight or hearing is incapable of moving into the future with courage and hope and joy. And these days, you see, Selwyn is trying to listen and discern for God's call, and we're talking a lot about who we are and what it means to be the church. What makes Selwyn Selwyn? Why do we put our clothes on on a Sunday morning and show up here to these pews? Soon you will hear from planning teams who have been listening to members and discerning our path forward. We already know who we are, Selwyn. We already know what makes Selwyn, Selwyn. We aren't perfect or shiny, but every Sunday we describe ourselves as an intergenerational community of faith committed to cultivating authentic relationships. Are the relationships perfect? No but certainly we are all working hard to reconnect and welcome one another back into the fold. We know each other and we do try to show up for each other in ways that really matter. It is also true that for over 80 years, children have been at the heart of Selwyn's mission. Long ago, a Sunday school was held in a chicken coop. A kindergarten was established here at Selwyn after World War II. Eventually, a child development center was launched as a mission of the church. We are trustworthy partners with Montclair Elementary School. A majority of our mission dollars are invested in GEP for an afterschool and summer enrichment program there. And these relationships lead to big things. A mentor, a coach, a teacher, a grandparent, a stranger, a parent, They were not perfect, but somewhere along the way, they affirmed your gifts and your calling. They may have been slow and tired and cynical, but they were there and they showed up. And right now we are being invited to invest in this community, in our mission with joyful hearts, not out of obligation or fear, but with abundance and gratitude. You see, Eli and all of Israel, they were waiting for a big thing. But God's bigness in this world, God's power to change things, begins in the intimacies of our personal relationships and commitments. Our pathways to new life are revealed in an invitation to connect and to be together, even when we don't feel like it even when we're tired, even when we give way to the myth of scarcity, even when we are scared and our priorities are way out of whack. Is it a lack of time? Is it a lack of money? Or is it lack of faith? Sam is afraid to tell Eli what he hears from God, because his authority is established as Eli's declines. But Samuel's legitimacy, like our legitimacy, is rooted in the freedom and the promise of God. At least in this story, God doesn't actually say, I'm about to do a new thing. He says, I'm about to do a thing that is going to make your ears tingle. Well, your ears tingle. When's the last time you heard something that made your ears tingle? Every time I hear a story of connection, my ears tingle. A confirmation mentor realizes he is learning as much as his confirmand is, and God is doing a new thing. A fifth grader is equipped to lead worship, and God is doing a new thing. A CDC parent has the courage to share her story of faith with you all this morning, and God is doing a new thing. Five-year-olds and 50-year-olds sing together, God is doing a new thing. A couple sees a marriage counselor for the first time, and a dad is held in prayer by his Bible study group as he faces a job loss, and a breast cancer survivor in her 70s has coffee with a newly diagnosed mom, and A prayer shawl is wrapped around a dying man, and you are here, we are here together, we are worshiping, and God is doing a new thing. And all of this, all of these personal invitations and intimate exchanges, they're really big things. They are the places where newness becomes possible, and despair becomes hope, and shame and loneliness become purpose, and worthiness. Do not remember the former things or consider the things of old. For the Lord says, I am about to do a new thing. Amen.
1: Let us pray together. God of grace, you have called us here today and we listened to your call and responded you gather us for worship so we could be in christian fellowship with one another giving you all praise and glory we thank you lord for opening our hearts and bringing us together to joyfully respond to your love compassion and grace guide us now lord god as we work to fulfill your call as we strive to bring justice and love to all people and to show compassion for the most vulnerable. We pray, Lord God, for a portion of your wisdom and strength so that we may enter society with a renewed outlook, a brighter perspective, one of deep faith and commitment to your holy word. We understand that our work will not be easy, but we believe in the presence of the Holy Spirit that is always guiding, loving, and full of hope and calm. We may be challenged by those who do not share our belief, but it is your spirit, Lord, that keeps us on the path of righteousness. It is only by your great love for us that we may one day achieve the status of a trustworthy disciple of your son, Jesus Christ. Let us remember, Lord, those in this world who do not share the same freedoms that we have. Those who are suffering, Lord God, from the power-hungry oppressors who seek to rule over them with an iron hand, forcing them underground to worship and to pray for hope and lasting peace. These horrible acts of power not only lead to emotional pain, but creates pain from food shortages, housing, health care, and much more. We continue our prayers for your people in this community, for those who live on the margins of society and those forced to leave their native lands. We feel we 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 pray that they will feel your loving hand on them as they seek for peace. Let our prayers be joined with the prayers of the world for the safety and freedom for all those who are suffering. And once again, Lord, we thank you for calling us together in your church, your church, Lord, that also benefits from our prayers, prayers that guide, prayers that offer hope and strength, prayers for those who are dealing with illnesses, those with an uncertain outcome from a diagnosis those alone, and those who are dealing with emotional issues. We are your children, and we believe in your Son's love for us and his promise of resurrection, where there will be no more tears, pain, suffering, and no more separation. This is our belief and our hope. And now, Lord, awaken our soul as we listen to the words For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. And now we'll have a word from Sam Pfeiffer, as she tells us, fills us in on our stewardship program for 2023.
2: Good morning. I feel honored to stand in front of you today to talk about what Selwyn means to me and to my family. When I was pregnant with my oldest, Watson, we decided it was time to start looking for a church. Both Nathan and I were raised in tight-knit churches and we wanted that for our family. We visited several churches, but when we walked in, we immediately felt at home and knew that Selwyn was the right place for us. The people were so welcoming and everything about the church and the people just felt familiar. And it's fitting that I'm talking to you today because the first day we visited happened to be during the stewardship season. It's like I'm coming full circle. I remember listening and thinking, wow, this is where I want to be, and I want to be part of a church that is so grounded in their mission with a congregation committed to the church. Over time, our family has grown, as has my commitment to Selwyn. Both of my boys are in the CDC. Watson is four and William is almost two. They've both been there since they were three months old, and it's been amazing to see them grow at the CDC and at Selwyn. Watson is participating today in the Children's Choir and it means so much to be able to see him and raise him in a church and to instill in him that he's loved by God and this church and its people. I love that he gets excited to come on Sundays and that he comes in confidently and happy. I'm thankful for someone's commitment to our children and for the CDC. Watson goes to kindergarten in a year and I'm already mourning that his time at the CDC is coming to an end. I'm so grateful for all that the church has given me. Friendship, fellowship, community, the CDC, that I knew that I wanted to do more and dedicate some of my efforts back to the church. So in 2020, 2021, in the midst of a pandemic, I became an elder. I know I'll look back at the virtual meetings fondly, but I'm also grateful to see us coming back together in person. Through my commitment as an elder, I focused my efforts on the CDC as the board co-chair. I'm thankful to Clark, who helped us navigate the pandemic, um, but I'm happy to take the reins from him as we return to some sense of normalcy. Selwyn is a very sacred place, and it's a place where I can feel God working just by stepping inside. It's been beautiful to see the commitment of the elders and the staff to bringing people back together and to expanding on our mission as a church. As I close, I hope that you will join me in prayerful reflection on what Selwyn means to you during this stewardship season. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Sam. It is now time that we give back to God a portion of what God has so graciously given us. Thank you. Let us pray together the prayer found in your bulletin. Generous and gracious God, we offer these gifts of abundance with joyful hearts. May our gratitude overflow in all things, at all times, in all we do and all we say. May our pledges of treasure, time and talent glorify you, holy God your grace abounds. abounds amen our closing hymn is hymn number 69
0: remember the former things or consider the things of old, for God is about to do a new thing. As you leave this place, leave with the grace and love of Christ in your heart, and be ready to say, Here I am, Lord. Send me. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.